Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. <clears throat> First sound check. How's this? It's okay? That's, yes, good. Not up. What's that? Uh, a little bit higher. More. Thank you. How about now? Testing, testing. How's this? You hear? It's okay? <clears throat> Hi. Hmm. Notice the moon? How could you not? Huh? <clears throat> it's actually going to be full at 1.20 tomorrow afternoon. <clears throat> but by tomorrow night, it's going down. So um, we're seeing it in its fullness, <clears throat> about to hit its fullness. And probably you know that the full moon is a symbol for enlightenment <clears throat> in Buddha Dharma. So um, also turning into werewolves. Uh, but, uh, so one or the other, I, I, you can... I'll take a look and see your aura or your hair growing out. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's really inspiring to, isn't that interesting? Just seeing this disc in the sky in all its splendor and uh, it touches the heart. You know. Did you notice a little, oh wow. How many people know, felt a wow? Isn't that cool? Wow. What's that about? Um, it's nice that the heart can be touched like that, isn't it? <clears throat> uh, I wanted to uh, talk tonight about trust. And uh, uh, part of this is... Um, I want to explore um, all the different ways of all the different ways there are to approach practice. You've gotten so many different instructions and maybe your mind at times is swimming with, you know, what do I, what do, I do now? Um, and you probably have seen um, maybe who's ever giving the talk might have a particular slant on things and, and you hear it and you say, oh gosh, that's, she took the words right out of my heart, you know. And then somebody else can give a, another perspective, oh, so right on. And it can be both inspiring to see how many different ways there are to approach practice and also maybe a little confusing as well, because you can have five different teachers and, you know, different approaches. You might have, uh, go for an interview and come, come out saying, they knew just what to say, you know, and somebody next door, you might have come out saying the same thing with a different response. So, um, I wanted to talk about how to get a sense of Mm. the right way to do practice. Maybe in the process uh, we can delete the word right. Mm. The Buddha also saw that there's many, many different ways to um, facilitate awakening. You know, the the classic line is there's 84,000 Dharma doors or Dharma gates. And one of the Gifts of the Buddha was he was a master of skillful means of teaching besides having the, the depth, uh, you know, the most profound depth of understanding that he knew just what to tell somebody uh, who uh, in, the, in the right way that could, that could um, address their confusion and their clarity. Uh, and he 
uh, offered many, many different approaches in the Satipatthana Sutta. There's four foundations or frames of, of mindfulness, so many different ways to be mindful. Um, and even in working with thoughts, one of my favorite discourses that I want to share a little bit from, share from tonight is uh, different strategies that he had for working with thoughts. Um, you've noticed probably thoughts can get a little slippery. And even though you know better, okay, I got it. Don't believe my thoughts. There you are. How did I get sucked into that one again? I can't believe it. You ever have that feeling? Didn't I just do this like yesterday? <laughs> or the day before? You know, When am I going to get it? Or even more mm, humbling where you know you're stuck and you see the whole, the whole constellation and you still can't get out. I know I'm stuck. I'm believing my thoughts and I still can't get out. Humbling, really humbling. I've been doing this for 20 years also. Oh my God, you know. Then even more humbling. So uh, I wanted to first offer some of the Buddha's um, suggestions on working with difficult thoughts and working with uh, the phenomenon, uh, I'm not sure if it's been mentioned, it, uh, I wasn't obviously at all the talks, um, but the, the phenomenon of papancha, has it been talked about here? It hasn't? Oh. Papancha, it's a great word. If you don't know it, you know it, but you just don't know the word for it. And it kind of sounds like it, like it, you know that, um, what is it, onomatopoeia, it sounds like it, like it is. Papancha, it gives you a little of a, a punch in there, where one thought gives rise to a whole mushroom universe of thoughts. One triggers another, triggers another, and there you are in a whole world created by this mind. Have you noticed it for you? There's a, here's a, a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon that, um, that I love. Uh, Calvin says in the, the first frame, here I am, happy and content. Second frame, but not euphoric. <laughs> Third frame, so now I'm no longer content. I'm unhappy. My day is ruined. Last frame, I need to stop thinking while I'm ahead. <laughs> That's kind of how it goes. You're going along, everything is fine, and then one thought triggers off a whole level of either wanting or aversion or confusion or memory or um, a story. We've talked about the stories. You can hear a loving kindness, guided meditation, and you're sure that everybody around you is just radiating metta and your heart is just like stone. And I've had more than once, many times, somebody coming in and saying, you know, I just don't relate to metta. Something like, I know why, because I didn't receive love when I was a kid. I know why, because I'm not lovable, and just kind of going down the road. This from somebody who you can just feel their goodness and their compassion, you know. But the mind says these stories, and it creates a problem when we believe them. So I first wanted to share uh, the Buddha's suggestions for working with um, distracting thoughts. This is from uh, Maji Manakaya number 20. This is the middle length discourses, the Maji Manakaya. There's a 152 in here. And number 20, uh, the Vitaka Santana Sutta, the discourse on the removal of distracting thoughts. The first strategy, by the way, before I get into these five, is, if you can, to simply realize, oh, this is thought. 
This is a mental fabrication. Oh, thinking, thinking. But it doesn't always work. So, here when one is giving attention to some sign, some meditation subject, uh, and or to some experience owing to, I'll just paraphrase, to a particular stimulus, there arise in that, that person uh, unwholesome thoughts connected with desire, hatred, and delusion, then one should give attention to some other sign connected with what is wholesome. When giving attention to that other sign connected with what is wholesome, then those unwholesome thoughts um, are abandoned and subside. And with the abandoning, the mind becomes steadied, internally quieted, brought to singleness, and concentrated. And there's a metaphor for each of these, uh, just or simile. Just as a skilled carpenter or his apprentice might knock out, remove, and extract a coarse peg by means of a fine one, so too, when a practitioner gives attention to some other sign or th- thought connected with what is wholesome, the mind becomes steadied, internally quieted, brought to singleness and concentrated. So what does that mean? If you're having a particular um, difficult thought, you can replace. And I think the other day, uh, maybe Sally gave a talk on antidotes to hindrances, right? So um, in a practical level, Let's just um, see what that could mean. Suppose you're caught in um, uh, in aversion or hatred. What might be the antidote if you can't just notice, oh, here's aversion. Anyone? What's that? Gratitude would be one. Metta would be another, just the opposite of that contracted heart, an open heart. If you're having a crisis in faith, sorry, well, if you're having a lot of doubt, <laughs> what, would <be> the <laughs> what would be the antidote? Yeah. Doubting the doubt. <laughs> that, that's good if you can do it, yeah. Faith, yeah, sorry, I kind of blew that punchline. Um, just thinking of somebody who inspires you or who believes in you. And with all of these, that's a skillful thing to do, to substitute a wholesome thought for that unwholesome thought. And, you know, you, we said the other day, uh, it, with, with wanting, with, in, uh, with desire, uh, impermanence it can be a very wholesome uh, thought to substitute, etc. But, he says... Um, it might not work. So here's the second. One giving attention to some other sign or thought connected with, with what's wholesome, there still arise those unwholesome thoughts connected with greed, hatred, and delusion. And one should examine the danger in those thoughts. Thus, these thoughts are unwholesome. They result in suffering. When one examines the danger in those thoughts and seeing, oh, this is leading me not to a good place, then they can be abandoned and subside, and the mind becomes quieted. And here's the simile. Just as a man or a woman, young and youthful and fond of ornaments, would be horrified, humiliated, and disgusted if the carcass of a snake or a dog or a human being were hung around his or her neck. (laughs) Pretty graphic, yeah? So too, when a practitioner examines the danger in those thoughts, the mind becomes steady, quieted, brought to singleness and concentrated. What can that mean? Don't even go there. You know that expression if you're you're, uh, in this culture. Don't go there. Like, watch out. Have you ever seen that? Do I really want to go down this or do I want to jump into this movie? <clears throat> just remembering an old Woody Allen movie, what was it called? Uh, Broadway Danny Rose, where he, and he was a movie buff, and he, and he jumps into the movie screen, and there he is in the, in the scene. That's what we do. We create this, these thoughts, and then we jump into the, into the movie. Oh, and sometimes it's a, 
you know, it's a, uh, it, it's a romantic comedy and sometimes it's a horror show, you know. Um, but if you can see, wait, do I want to go into this movie? Then it gives you a little bit of uh, choice in there. <clears throat> so still might not work on to a third. If while examining the danger in those thoughts, there still arise unwholesome thoughts, then one should try to forget those thoughts and forget and should not give attention to them. When one tries to forget those thoughts and not give attention, then they sooner or later are abandoned and subside and with, a, with abandoning the mind becomes quieted. Just as a person with good eyes who did not want to see forms that had come within range of sight would either shut their eyes or look away, so too when one tries to forget those thoughts and not give attention to them, the mind becomes steady, quieted, etc. Okay. This is the strategy uh, sometimes known as forgetfulness and inattention. This is the Buddha recommending to forget it and not pay attention. Okay. He says this can be a skillful thing. But in our practice, that means you don't have to stay with what is exhausting, fatiguing, confusing, that you can turn your attention elsewhere. So for instance, if you're having a um, uh, an ongoing pain. If you keep on paying attention to it, the mind becomes really tired, fatigued, withered. Is uh, uh, is a, a word that's sometimes used in the in the text, and you just get more contracted and spun out. You don't have to stay there. Turn to something else, like listening to sounds or feeling your body uh, sitting here. This is different from the first one. You might be saying, well, what, what's the difference? The first one, you're actually substituting a different reflection like metta for aversion. In this one, you're turning your awareness to something that's right here, but is more neutral or easier to be with. So this is good. And the same way with feeling a, a difficult emotion. If you can be with it, great. If you can find your balance and interest and curiosity and see it, I'm going to explore this sadness or this fear, then fine. But if you're starting to get spun out and confused or struggling, no need to stay there. That's a time to turn someplace else. And you might make a little contract with yourself. Okay, for the next half minute or minute, let me just be with this. Let me see it. Let me really allow it, that A, or accept in, uh, in rain. And then, if not, turn your attention elsewhere. When it's a struggle and you're getting spun out, no point in staying. But it still might not work. So on to the next. If while trying to forget those thoughts and not give attention to them, there still arise unwholesome thoughts, then one should give attention to stilling the thought formation of those thoughts. When giving attention to stilling the thought formations, they will subside and the mind becomes quieted. Just as a person walking fast might consider, why am I walking fast? What if I walk slowly? And he would walk slowly. Then he might consider, why am I walking slowly? What if I stand? And he would stand. Then he might consider, why am I standing? What if I sit? And he would sit. Then he might consider, why am I sitting? What if I lie down? It's getting better and better, isn't it? <laughs> and he would lie down. And by doing so, he'd substitute for each grosser posture one that's subtler. So too, when giving attention to the stilling the thought formations of those thoughts, the mind becomes steadied and quieted. So what does that mean? There's, there's two ways of, um, of relating to this strategy. 
One, the most obvious one is chill out. You know, just relax. You're getting really swept up. Just create some space so that you can come back to balance, whether it's going for a walk or having a cup of tea or just just taking uh, taking a mindful break. It doesn't mean that you're playing hooky. It actually can be the most skillful thing to do to do if you do it with that intention, this is what is going to support my practice. Not, oh, I'm going to really just, you know, forget this whole meditation stuff. I hate it. Which might be a thought that arises in you. But rather, if the same, um, if the decision to do the same thing is coming from, this is going to support my practice. I just need a little space right now then that's really skillful. Another way of interpreting stilling the thought formations, where do, those, where do the thoughts arise from? You can, rather than getting into the content of the thoughts, you can either, um, one way is, you know, a guy did that big, big mind meditation, just seeing everything arising out of emptiness, out of space, and going to that, spacious, mm, the space of awareness out of which things arise. Or, or seeing where the, what, what gave rise to the thought might be a feeling. Oh, there's some confusion here or some fear here and it's manifesting as this story. That's another way to kind of get to the source of the thoughts. Um, but you might just first try the, the relaxation one. So that's the, that's the fourth strategy, but still might not work. So last one, <clears throat> get ready. <clears throat> if while giving attention to the stilling of those thought, the thought formations of those thoughts, there still arise unwholesome thoughts connected with greed, hatred, and delusion, then with teeth, clenched and tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth, one should beat down, constrain, and crush mind with mind. Hmm, interesting, okay. With all the loving kindness in your heart. And with teeth clenched and tongue pressed, etc., etc., And here's the analogy. Just as a strong man might seize a weaker man by the head or shoulders and beat him down, constrain him, and crush him, so too with teeth clenched and tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth, the practitioner beats down, constrains, and crushes mind with mind. And the mind becomes steadied, quiet, quieted, and concentrated. What is going on there? This is probably something that uh, you're familiar with in your own way, and it can be done skillfully. Remember, the Buddha uh, was the was from the Kshatriya caste, the warrior caste. So there's a lot of warrior-like um, analogies. In my experience, and you can just test it out for yourself. If you do that with any kind of anger, aversion, or frustration, you are simply pouring fuel on the fire. But if you do it with a very firm, tough love that says, enough, from a loving place, just like a, a, a mother or a, a father would, um, would stop a child running out into the street and saying, no, you know, or about to put their hand on the stove, no, and might even give a little bit of a, no, that's not okay. You have to be very careful with that, of course. But 
sometimes that kind of very forceful, fierce compassion can be effective. How many people have ever found that skillful thing, just saying to yourself, enough already, with love? Yeah, see, so you know this, it's, it's worked. You can't do it as an ongoing, steady strategy because it's so, it's so easy for it to slip into self-flagellation. That doesn't go anywhere. But just to know that that's another possibility. Okay, that's enough. And then you can go to loving kindness or bring some, some compassion to the situation. So there's all of these, all of these different strategies. And what's the teaching? There's no one right way. There's no one right way. Even the Buddha saw there is no one right way. You need to look at what's going to serve you in this moment. And when the question comes, am I doing it right? You ever have that come to your mind? Am I doing it right? Uh Uh-oh, what if I go into the interview and, and the teacher says, are you kidding you know? <laughs> doesn't really happen uh, very often anyway <laughs> at least with we're very friendly kind of people here so uh, it might happen with other teachers but uh, I don't know if I've ever said are you kidding um, but if you have that question am I doing it right um, it's just another thought thinking that there's some right way. And so many, again, I hope you're seeing so many different ways to practice. Jack Cornfield uh, has this book that originally was entitled Living Buddhist Masters. Um, however, just about all of them have passed away. So it's now called Living Dharma. It's a wonderful book. 12 different Burmese and Thai masters um, sharing their approach to practice. And this is the, 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 uh, the meditation instructions that I use. Some of them saying, this is the right way to do it. Um, and some of them saying, this is my way to do it. There's no one right way. So, with so many decisions, there's so many different ways you're making decisions all the time you know well should i uh, be with the breath at the nostrils or the belly or the chest or the whole body or okay now i got collected on the breath should i use mental noting or just uh just be with things without words okay now i kind of figured that one oh now choiceless awareness well should i do choiceless awareness or go back to the breath or have you ever noticed, you know, what, what am I supposed to be doing here? It can get confusing. Should I walk really slowly or just natural? Or maybe should I take a walk? You know? So who do you trust? Who do you think? You listen to yourself anyway. You know, most of the time you're listening to the stories that say, or much of the time, you know, are you kidding? You know, come on, get on with it. Or when will you ever get this right? You know, so if you're listening to those thoughts, you might as well start learning how to listen inside. Because that's what the Buddha did say in the beautiful, inspiring uh, uh, Kalama Sutta where he says to these, this, these villagers who have seen so many different teachers come through and saying they, they've got the right answer and then he comes through and, he, and they say, wait, we, the, other, the, other folk, the other teachers said that they've got the right answer. How, how are we supposed to know what to, what to believe? And he says, 
it is in, indeed fitting to doubt as you are, Kalamas. In situations of uncertainty, doubt surely arise. You should decide, Kalamas, not by what you've heard, not by following convention, not by assuming it is so, not by relying on the texts, not because of reasoning, not because of logic, not by thinking about explanations, not by acquiescing to the views that you prefer, not because it appears likely, and certainly not out of respect for a teacher, but when you would know, Kalamas, for yourselves that these things are unhealthy, these things when entered upon and undertaken incline towards harm and suffering, then you should reject them. And when you know for yourselves these things are healthy, these things when entered upon and undertaken incline toward welfare and happiness, then having come to them, you should stay with them. When you know for yourself, and you notice there's that, that phrase, not by acquiescing to views that you prefer, but check it out. That's, that's the, the Buddha's ongoing invitation in, in one of the, um, the chants, one of my favorite chants. He says, Ehi pasiko, ehi pasiko, o panaiko, ehi pasiko, come and see for yourself. The Dharma is open-handed for all to see for themselves. But you have to see for yourself instead of, oh yeah, I think I know where this is going to lead. Check it out. That's the ongoing open-handed invitation. Now, I just want to put in a word, since you're coming to interviews uh, regularly, it is a good thing to maybe listen to what somebody has to offer, you know. Uh, so not to just come in with uh, closed ears and saying, oh, I'm just going to listen to myself. There might be something that comes in the exchange for you to try. Because it's, so, it's, it's, it's hard to s- often to see where you are from the inside. And so that's where it can be helpful to have a little bit of um, reality check and reflection and guidance. Most of all, though, if you're getting in touch with the truth inside, um, that's the most important thing that you can do. All the the guidance and the, and the, the teacher support, in my mind anyway, is helping you to more and more get in touch with the wisdom right inside. That's why when you take refuge in the Buddha, you're taking refuge in that Buddha inside. But how do you know what to listen to? There's so many different voices, as we've been saying. And it might be um, a big order, a tall order, to trust yourself. Trust myself. My mind is playing tricks on me all the time. How can I really trust myself? Well, part of it is learning how to listen. And not so much trusting my, um, my confused mind. There's a, a phrase that uh, Ajahn Chah and... Um, uh, Mahabua use Buddha knowing, trusting your Buddha knowing, not hey James has it figured out, but someplace deeper than than here, and really letting go of the knowing, and more sensing where the wisdom is, <clears throat> and a lot of the times it's available not so much with the figuring out mind, but with a deeper kind of sensitivity. There's a line in the, in the Third Zen Patriarch, I'd mentioned that before, Third Zen, that's the one that has uh, the, um, the burdensome practice of judging. There's another line in there, he says, um, stop talking and thinking and there's nothing you'll not be able to know. Have you seen that for yourself when you stop spinning your wheels and you just 
let go of figuring out, then the wisdom, you give enough space for the wisdom to shine through. It's such a relief to let go of knowing. It's such a relief to let go of um, spinning your wheels. I don't think I read this here. That, uh, this is, it was one retreat where this, this yogi, it was her first retreat. She kept on trying to figure out. Did I talk about not figuring out? No. Remember that instruction. Don't try to figure it out. And this particular retreat, she, this, this, it was her first retreat, she was just spinning around and around and around and just getting more and more caught up and uh, kept on sharing, you don't have to figure it out. And finally, at the, towards the end of the retreat, she really got it and she wrote this note. The one thing that is indelible in my brain is finally getting you don't have to figure it out. That would never ever register in my brain as an option before. Yesterday, I was walking and struggling in my brain, thinking round and round, and this voice came into my head that said, you don't have to figure it out. And I stopped and closed my eyes and asked myself, what is true right now in this moment. And what was true was the rising and falling of my breath and various body sensations coming and going. And the rest will balance itself out in its own time, I thought to myself. And I resumed my walking. What a revelation. So, This is not to listen to all the thoughts that go through your head, but just get a sense of which ones to listen to and which ones not to. Don't know. You know, uh, there's a great Zen, uh, Korean Zen master, Sung Sung Sung, and his main teaching was, don't know, don't know mind. He had this, he was a great guy. He has this um, empty gate Zen center in uh, in Berkeley is a Sansung uh, center. And he used to say, you know, where did he, where'd you come from? Don't know, you know. <laughs> What's the meaning of life? Don't know, you know. Yeah. Where are you going? Don't know. He'd say, just keep, don't know. Keep, don't know mind. Everything else will reveal. What a relief to not know or not need to know, or uh, Krishnamurti, his book, Freedom from the Known. The title says it all, Freedom from the Known. Because the known is, uh, is just going to you know, corroborate what you, already, what you already know. There's nothing new in that. You know, this is called insight meditation. In order to have an insight, it means you've got to see something in a new way. You know, if you say... I know how this is going to turn out, and it does. You just end up patting yourself on the back saying, pretty clever. But in order to have an experience of, oh, aha, oh, wow, and you're seeing something new, it means you've let go of the known. So there's a difference between uh, analysis and simply allowing the wisdom to arise. It's right inside of you. And if you wonder about your, uh, whether you're doing enough or too much, remember I I mentioned earlier in the retreat, uh, just get in touch with your sincerity. That's, That's your secret ingredient Get in touch with your sincerity and listen. This is another yogi note that I just feel like sharing. It is indeed a huge relief to realize that I am not in charge of my thoughts, that they come up completely unbidden. 
It's also a relief to know that I'm not in charge of my moments of awareness, that these are indeed just beautiful gifts. I think I've been laboring under the assumption that by sheer effort of will, I could manufacture awareness and that the only reason it wasn't happening was because of laziness, weak brain power, lack of dedication, etc., etc. So this shift of emphasis towards trust and sincerity of heart, letting the process evolve at its own speed, in its own direction, has made me incredibly happy. So, trust. How do you get in touch with that? How do you know which thoughts to listen to? Mm. Think of how you know, out of all the thoughts that come through, any sense of, of what gives you a, a, um, an indication that it's a thought to, to maybe trust. Take a few comments. What's that? The Vedna with it, but it could be pleasant, uh, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Okay, so if there's a pleasantness, maybe, but it could be, oh, I think I'll go have an ice cream cone now, and that. But there can be, it's certainly not a, a contraction, okay. Anything else? Yeah. How does it physically, how does it physically feel? Open and yeah, whether it's open or contracted. And generally, if the thought is coming through with a finger wag, chances are this is not the voice of wisdom. And you can feel it in your body, and you can hear it in the tone in your mind. Learning to listen to the tone of the message is uh, a very simple and effective uh, guideline. Or, as was said, feeling it in your body. There's a contraction that comes with a thought that's not particularly helpful or the voice of wisdom. And there's a kind of openness, a kind of connection, and a trustability in the thoughts that are coming from a deeper place. Uh, uh, Earlier this year, um, Jane and I, my wife Jane and I, went to visit Ramdas in Hawaii. I've mentioned him before and that he's been a really important um, mentor and and, and teacher for me. And uh, he, you know, he's... I think we mentioned he's you know he had a stroke and um a number of years ago and and when we were seeing him he had just gotten over um some illness and so his his he his words were fewer than they than they usually are but he was just brilliant the light that he's been for quite some time now and uh, uh we were sharing uh, uh an issue that um, we have a really good relationship and every now and then issues come up and we were sharing our different perspectives on this issue uh, and um, wanted to get his take on it. And um, we both shared our, our analysis and, uh, and he said, he, he didn't say much, he said, you know, it's all about going from here to here. That was worth the whole trip. Going from the figuring out in your head to a place of listening in your heart. Not so much conceptual, but just feeling it. I invite you just to do this with me for a moment. 
put your hand on your forehead. I'll give you the transmission. Remind us. And when you're there, just remember how it feels as you're going around and around in your mind, exhausted, and then making that magical journey go down to your heart. That place of kindness, compassion, wisdom, even just that simple movement. It doesn't even matter if you've had an issue a moment ago. Do it again. (laughs) It's one of my main practices now. I can't do it enough, actually. Going from here down to here. Just feel the rightness of that. So much is just learning to listen inside. And this is a Uh, really one way to think of how the practice works. We're learning to listen to the truth in every single moment. And the more we listen to the truth of this moment, the more we can listen to the deeper truth inside. You know, there's, uh, uh, if you're familiar with the Tibetan iconography, there's uh, the, the great yogi Milarepa. And you can always tell it's Milarepa he has his hand to his ear. He's listening to the 100,000 Dharma songs. And that's what we're doing in this moment. Oh, this moment, hearing. This moment, sensation. This moment, joy or sadness. You're just listening to the truth of this moment. And as you do that, more and more, you start to be able to discern the truth, the, the wisdom that's right here for you to discover. That refuge in the Dharma, the Dharma is giving you what you need if you can learn how to listen inside. And that means also getting out of the way. Getting out of the way with your with your mind, with your brain, with your conceptual thinking, with your knowing what it's going to be like. One challenge around trust is uh, when things get a little scary. How can I trust? How can I trust that I'll be okay? So I thought I'd I'd mention just a little bit about about fear because um, it does get scary. And when the mind is caught up in fear, um, it gets confused. And we think, oh my goodness, uh, what do I do now? And just want you to know that fear is a very... Um, natural part of, process, uh, of practice and important part of practice that you're learning more and more not to see fear as the enemy because fear is really um, an indication often that you're stretching yourself into new territory. When you're going anytime, you're going from the familiar to the unfamiliar from the known to the unknown, you're getting out of your comfort zone. So, of course, if you're going to get out of your comfort zone, you're going to be uncomfortable. And it can be, even if it's getting into a new territory of joy, sometimes you can say, oh, this is feeling so good, and then the energy gets to be a lot. Oh, this is a lot good energy. (laughs) This is an awful lot of good energy and you don't, it can get a little bit unsettling. Can I handle this? Can the system 
can the system accommodate all this energy, even with joy, even with happiness, even with, uh, with, with love, sometimes you're learning to open up to a, a, a bigger, a higher vibration, really. And so it can be unsettling even in the pleasant ones. Or it gets really, really quiet. You're finally, you've been trying to quiet down your mind for a long time. And then finally, it gets really quiet. And sometimes it can be, wow, how cool. And sometimes it can be, it's really quiet in here. (laughs) What do I do now? What's going to happen to me? You know, I, I know. It's not a bad thing. It's just an indication that you're stretching yourself as uh, one way to think of it. Fear is the, the membrane between the familiar and the unknown. So it's kind of like a scout. Jack has a, 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 a really great phrase that uh, I find helpful. He says, fear is just saying about to grow. That's exciting. That's different from the danger or from the message that says you're in over your head. And that's when, as the Buddha recommends, turning to some other, uh, some other object or using some other count balance. When you find that it's too much and you don't have the stability then you just take it a little at a time, what I, what I like to call titrating our dukkha. You know, just a little at a time. Okay, for the, next, for the next half minute or minute, let's feel this pain or this emotion. And you can always back down. But to be willing to play your edge and see that that's how you grow. And I would bet that most of you are here in the game to grow. In practice, some of the most um, profound states have real fear in them. There's a, in the progress of insight, a classical model of, of, the, of the practice. After you see, in a brilliant way, arising and passing, everything going so, so fast, and you see there's nothing to hold on to, which can be very inspiring and exhilarating, then you start noticing the disappearing part. Oh, this is, there's nothing to hold on to. And it stops getting as exhilarating and gets a little bit like there's no solid ground. And then you sometimes can enter what uh, is classically called the rolling up the mat stage, where you just want to roll up your meditation mat. They sit in mats in in Asia. And uh, I thank you. I think it's time for me to to go. That, and you might think, oh, my practice is really the pits right now. No, it's, it's actually, um, it can be an indication of, of even a deeper level of practice. So fear is, uh, is, is not, not the enemy, it's just, it's a natural part of this process. Just like in, you know, I'm sure most of, many of you are familiar with the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey, that the classical archetype of a hero, whether it's the Buddha or Jesus or uh, Luke Skywalker or Katniss Everdeen, uh, it's the same story. You go, the hero sets out one reason or other on a quest or on a mission and goes through the greatest hardships. And that's how they become empowered. They've gone through the hardship and come out the other end. 
You know, it's like my, my favorite Star Wars movie is uh, The Empire Strikes Back, where, mm, just getting a little hit on it right now, <laughs> where, uh, uh, so good, uh, <laughs> where, where Yoda is training Luke Skywalker, you know that one? And, and Luke, impetuous Luke, is saying, I want to be a Jedi now. And Yoda says, just relax, just cool it. Take. No, impetuous Luke says, I, I can't wait. And Yoda says, okay, here's your lightsaber. You go in that dark cave and meet your demons. And he does, barely by the skin of his teeth. And he comes out a Jedi master, you know, with a little, little few quirky personality traits, you know, but he's a Jedi master because he was willing to face his greatest fears and demons. So if you find that fear is coming up, think of all the times that you've gone through those challenging times and you've made it through. And you don't have to go in over your head, but just be willing to explore and see that uh, maybe there's something for me here to wake up, oh, just a little at a time. And you take the protection, you get all the protection you can get, and you use your shield and um, protection of self-compassion, and you can check in with, uh, with somebody if you need support. But this is about really um, growing to new places that you didn't know were possible. And that's the gift of fear, that you, you come through it. I bet everybody here has a story of learning through going through their dukkha that they wouldn't have chosen in the first place, but you come out and you say, wow, I made it through. Maybe there's more inside than I thought. I didn't know I had it in me. And that's another level of trust, to just see that it's all workable. It's all possible. So, ultimately, trusting and listening inside This is what the Buddha said. This is what the Buddha instructed and encouraged. And so I'll I'll end with these words of, of the Buddhas. Near the end of of his life, when he was asked, uh, well what shall we do? Ananda asked him, what shall we do after you, after you die? Who's going, to, who's going to show us the way? And he says, Ananda, tell everyone, be ye lamps unto yourselves. Be a refuge to yourselves. Betake yourselves to no external refuge. Hold fast to the truth as a lamp. Hold fast to the truth as a refuge. Look not for a refuge in anyone besides yourselves. And those who either now or after I'm dead shall be a lamp unto themselves, shall betake themselves to no external refuge, but hold fast to the truth as their lamp and hold fast to the truth as their refuge. They shall not look for a refuge to anyone besides themselves. It is they who shall reach the topmost height but they must be eager to learn. That's where the Buddha is, right inside there. And more and more, learn to listen to it and trust it. Use all the support you can get, but ultimately find your own um, wisdom right inside. And that's what you can then... um, be an example and model for others, that we're all just helping each other wake up. So let's sit for a moment.